Welcome to Soccer 101, the podcast in which we try and explain various phenomena in and around this beautiful game of ours. It's a slightly different approach today as we settle the score with a threesome. Mm. I'm Ryan Bailey and also here is Joe Lowry. Say hello, Joe. Hello, Joe. Wait, is that what I'm supposed to do? Yeah, and also here, Graham Rutherford. Say hello, Joe. <laughs> hello, Joe and Ryan. I'm confused. <laughs> I think we did this right. Anyway, I think that's how you intro a podcast. I think we just about got there. But it's uh, myself, Ryan Bailey, Joseph Lowry, and Mr. Graham Rutherford here. We are here to tackle, gentlemen, a question that has been sent to us at the 101 team by Mr. Eric Stelter. Joe, would you like to hear that question right now? Oh, I would love to hear that question, Mr. Bailey. Here it comes. Eric says, We hear about how important academies are, both domestic and abroad, but I don't think a lot of us understand how they actually work, says Eric. I believe it is like a Harry Potter school for soccer where young players go to different classes, such as corner-taking and throw-ins, but what is the actual experience (laughs) of joining an academy and being part of one? That does sound a lot more fun than probably what an academy is. I'll continue with Eric's question. Are players paid to move to that city? Do they just join for occasional practice? I feel like most American soccer fans don't really know what goes on in an academy or how it helps players. And I include myself in this, says Eric. Gentlemen, this is an excellent question about something maybe we take for granted that there's, there is a, a, a level of knowledge about. But um, academies is the question here. Why we have them, um, what they do, and what the kids and young teenagers who enter those academies actually get up to on a day-to-day basis. So I'll start off, gents, by sort of laying the groundwork here of why we have academies. And I think, Graham, the simplest way I could put it, the simplest analogy I could give is that growing your own vegetables is cheaper than buying them at the store in the long run if you have the infrastructure to do so. Does that sound... Do you get what I'm saying with that analogy there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that is primarily the the function of academies, but it should also be said that there are, um, particularly in European football and European competition, there are quotas that that clubs have to fulfil where you have to um, have a certain number of homegrown players and it gets a little bit murky in that it's it's to do with how many uh, years a young player spends at a club, so it could be someone who hasn't necessarily come through your academy but has joined your academy at young age, they would still be classed as a homegrown player. But that's muddying the waters a little bit. Yes, that is primarily the, the function, Ryan Bailey. Yes, so academies mean different things in different territories. And I think we're going to get into that a little bit in this episode today. Lucky you, listener. Um, I've got a bit of experience with an MLS academy. Uh, I've been working with Charlotte FC for the past year as they have started their team. And the academy sides, they had an under-14 and under-17 side uh, in 2021. Uh, Is that the year we're in? Yep, that's right. Um, <laughs> and that's been the only team that Charlotte FC has had. So there's been a lot of focus on it. I've gone to, I go you know, training a couple of times a week and work very closely with that team. So I'm hoping I can give some insight there and if we're looking at the benefits of having academies from an MLS perspective the number one is that it's the cheapest and probably best way to fill your squad and your roster spots as I say you growing your own vegetables at home is cheaper than buying them at the store if you have the infrastructure to do so and with MLS the clubs benefit from a subsidy from the league's TAM payments their targeted allocation money uh, when they sign homegrown players to their first contracts there's a benefit for their rosters too and in your 30-man MLS roster roster spots 29 and 30 Joseph are reserved only for homegrown players so having them on your team allows a roster to be used to its maximum available size and I think one important thing that's maybe overlooked for the why Joe of academies is the appeal to fans Uh, local players 
they really earn a great affection for no matter where your club is, no matter where your fan base is. Uh, I know that, you know, there's a there's a big hunger in Charlotte to have local players represented in the roster. I'm a Wimbledon fan and it's always a very proud moment when someone from the younger academy makes his way through to the first team and indeed is sold on to other teams. And that's another good reason to have an academy, by the way, because you can grow your own produce and sell it at an inflated price if you wish. <laughs> but in terms of the appeal to fans, Joe, uh, you can look at, um, there's an example of Jordan Morris at Seattle. Apparently, hmm. and this is crazy, but he sold more shirts to Sounder supporters than Clint Dempsey uh, in their respective eras because he's a local boy, and that's what people like. Yeah, and out here in Phoenix, which is where I'm based, it's where I live, Phoenix Rising plays in USL, and they, they have an academy. They're working on building that program, and there's still yet to be that homegrown Phoenician player coming into the first team. And I think there is a real hunger for that here. Soccer, in so many senses, is about community. And we lose sight of that a little bit in today's era where money, I mean, I guess money always reigns supreme. But especially now, it feels like with big oil and all of those different things. It's <laughs> it's an opportunity for us to see communities get behind individual players and get behind a team. So, Ryan, I, I love that point. I think it makes a huge difference having players like that on top of the fiscally responsible reasons for starting an academy, which is not necessarily yeah. the cheapest method initially, but in Major League Soccer, to continue looking at it from a domestic perspective, teams that have invested in their academies, like the Philadelphia Union, like FC Dallas, those are maybe the two brightest examples right now, they're, they're having it pay off. FC Dallas is probably the best example. They're the shiny example in the United States. They produce talent. They've produced a number of U.S. men's national team players already, even still for a fairly young club. So there, I mean, there are a lot of strong reasons to have an academy and provide young players with the experience of actually going and growing their game and, and potentially becoming a professional player, which I think is the primary purpose from the individual's perspective of someone joining an academy. Yeah, definitely so. And you'll notice, gents, you will have noticed that in MLS, certainly, there has been a trend away from the collegiate system, the draft system, towards using your own academy, towards that, that European or, or uh, elsewhere in the world model, if you will. And the uh, the phrase here is homegrown player, which we've used a few times already. And by definition, that's a player who spent at least one year in a club's academy and who has lived in the club's territory. Uh, and that's another thing about MLS and where players are sourced from from those academies. Each club has a territory that it's allowed to scout. So Charlotte FC, for example, uh, my, my team, um, can have North and South Carolina. That's its territory. No one else is allowed to take players from those territories. Whereas previously, before the club existed, uh, clubs like Atlanta, or if there was an undesignated zone, anyone could take players from that zone. And if you, there, there are lists up of where each club's territories are. Uh, Real Salt Lake have all of Utah and Arizona, for example, which is quite a lot of landmass. Um, the the Fire and the Galaxy, I believe theirs is a 75-mile radius from their respective stadiums. Um, Joe, well, I mentioned Arizona there. You're going to uh, maybe have a little chat about the Barca Academy you've got going on down there. Yeah, absolutely. So there are a number of different types of academies, and this maybe gets to Eric's question or a part of Eric's question about what it's like to go and actually participate in one as a player. What do they do there? What's it like to be involved in a setup like that? And so one of the main academy models is the residency academy model. And there are a number of these 
all over the world with, with a few different varieties even within this type. But generally speaking, a residency academy is exactly what it sounds like. It's an academy where players go and they live on the campus at the training facilities or right next to it for a certain period of time. Some places it's five days a week and then they go home on the weekends to play games with their local teams. That's what uh, Claire Fontaine's Residency Academy in, in France does. But the Barca Academy, it's in the middle of nowhere in Arizona. It is like the soccer desert, essentially, out uh, in between Phoenix and Tucson, two of the bigger cities in Arizona. And players go there from all across the country. It's not an MLS academy, so they can bring in players from different spots. And they'll go and they'll live there. They'll live there uh, throughout the entire season. They'll go to school on campus. They have a charter school that's involved there. And so you'll have the academic side of it, which is still prioritized. But then you have training. The fields are right next to the school. They're right next to the dormitories. And the players will go out and uh, from the U15 level all the way up to the U19 level. They'll go out and train. And because it is the Barca Residency Academy, it is affiliated with FC Barcelona in Spain, they'll train with that methodology. They'll train with the classic Johan Cruyff 4-3-3, pass and move, build from the back, pressing methodology all the way through the age rank. So the, the real benefit of the Residency Academy model is that you're totally immersed in that culture. You're immersed in soccer. It's what you're focusing on. And and whether that means you're going to go and play at the college level or whether you're good enough to go and play at the professional level, which Barca has done here in Arizona with players like Caden Clark and Julian Araujo, Matthew Hoppe, Bryce Duke. There's others as well that they're grooming. They're just phenomenal players. The the model's proven of having these players totally involved in the sport. It's challenging because you're away from your family. Uh, It's expensive to attend academies like that if you're not on a scholarship or some sort of uh, monetary assistance or aid. But, I mean, the value is is there. It's been proven already with with academies like the Barca Residency Academy, the Philadelphia Union, and, and others across the world. And you mentioned Caden Clark there, Joe, and that's a good example of someone who uh, is maybe subject to the peculiar uh, uh, rationale of the homegrown player rule because he was born in Minnesota. He was raised in Minnesota. Uh, so he, uh, his, his rights are automatically owned by Minnesota United despite being born before they existed. So it's quite confusing because he started there playing for local youth clubs like the Minnesota Thunder. He moves to Barcelona's residency academy in Arizona. And then when he moves to the Red Bulls, his, his rights are still owned by Minnesota. So <laughs> rebels are forced to send, I think it's $75,000 in general allocation money to Minnesota. Uh, so it's quite a, quite a confusing system, but uh, it, it makes sense if you lay it out, I think. It's peak MLS, Ryan. It really is peak MLS. <laughs> and, and this Caden Clark situation is why Major League Soccer is pushing back against homegrown territories and against that rule, or at least certain clubs within the league, is yeah. because, I mean, you don't see that other places, right? You don't see... Uh, a team's lacking ambition benefit from their lack of ambition just because Caden Clark was born in the state of Minnesota. Minnesota United, who doesn't have an academy, they have chosen to forego that expense entirely. They they still benefit. They still earn that $75,000 for Barca's ambition, for the New York Red Bulls' ambition. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you look at it that way. And so I, I think there's a reason why homegrown territories, number one, don't exist in a lot of other places globally, but also might not exist in Major League Soccer that- 10 years from now. That is that does sound like a bit of a crazy system, I have to say. But what, <laughs> what I'm taking from that is with such big territories, what MLS clubs need are scouting drones. Uh, that's what they need. And the drones to have just a giant arm that comes down and picks up a player and carries yes. them hundreds of miles. <laughs> like those those arcade. Uh, it's not it's not a game, but it's yeah, you the, got the little joystick the and you can get the stuffed animal, but you never actually get the stuffed animal. That uh, I think that's what you're proposing here, Graham. 
Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> While we're talking about machines plucking children from the sky, we should probably note that the uh, uh, one of Eric's questions was whether they're paid or not, and they're not paid either. So they can be plucked from the sky by a drone, and they're also not paid. Uh, generally, these players are invited, or, or they're scouted from elsewhere, to come to these kind of academies. Uh, invariably, you'll get some who are uh, who are sold by their club on their project, which I use uh, in inverted quotes. And quite a lot of the time, and I've seen this with Charlotte, there'll be players who come on trial for like half a season, and if they like them, they'll pick them up full-time for the squad. Uh, we're going to take a very quick break to hear from a sponsor. When we get back, we'll talk a little bit more about MLS and also how academy systems work abroad. And we'll answer that question of how similar it is to Harry Potter. Yeah. Today's episode of Soccer 101 is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Watching Netflix without using ExpressVPN is a bit like paying for a gym membership but only being able to use the treadmill. You're limited, that's the point. ExpressVPN lets you change your online location so you can control where you want Netflix to think you're located. They've got almost 100 different server locations so you can gain access to thousands of new shows. This works for many streaming services, iPlayer, YouTube, a lot more. These are services which I use on my ExpressVPN account. And I also use them while I'm abroad. So example, I'm in the UK right now watching Mahulu using ExpressVPN. Why choose ExpressVPN over other VPNs? Well, it's got blazing fast speeds. You can stream in HD with zero buffering. I can attest to that. It's compatible with all your devices, your phones, your laptops, your media consoles, your smart TVs, your carpets, not that one, but lots more. It encrypts your data as well. ExpressVPN has the added benefit of encrypting your data so you can browse the web securely. So be smart, stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. You can get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash soccer. And if you use the link at expressvpn.com slash soccer, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. One more time, expressvpn.com slash soccer. E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash soccer for an extra three months free of ExpressVPN. VPN. Thank you very much to ExpressVPN for sponsoring today's show. Welcome back to Soccer 101. We are talking about academy systems worldwide. Uh, Graham, why don't we take a little focus to uh, Europe? Um, perhaps you can give us some perspective on how things work in the United Kingdom. Yeah, so from the, the, the sounds of it, it does work slightly differently. So the, the first thing to say um, about academies, and, and I'm, I'm largely basing my experience on uh, Scottish soccer, but I think it's generally the same across the, the United Kingdom. So it, it largely depends on, on age. Um, so if you are under the age of 16 in Scotland, you, you are bound by the kind of territories. It's a little bit looser. Basically, you have to just um, make the case to the Scottish FA that you are, you know, you're going to your, your local academy or a, or a club that is nearby. So if you were in Aberdeen and you were going to Celtic's academy before the age of 16, they might have an issue with that. Um, but if you're in the Glasgow area or, or even the central belt, they, you know, I don't think they would have much of a, a problem with that. Um, so yeah, it's most common for you to join an academy geographically near to you. Um, in Scotland, the, the Scottish FA actually completely rebuilt the academy structure about 10 years ago when things weren't going so well for us in terms of producing our own players. Um, beforehand, it was all on the clubs to control the, the grassroots. Um, and that was a bit of a problem for a number of different reasons, some cynical reasons. Maybe clubs weren't giving opportunities to players 
when they should have, particularly in the cases of the bigger clubs like Celtic and Rangers. Um, and so the, the, Scot- the Scottish FA created seven performance schools around the country. Um, and basically they looked at what had worked in, in Germany and what, what worked in France with Clairefontaine, where they, they brought youth development into a more centralised structure, generally controlled by the, the National Association. So we have seven of these schools around the country and they are based at a high school. So either you would, they're each based at a high school around the country. So either you would go to that high school or you would there would already be one near you that you, you would go to. So the idea is that it's not separating education from your your footballing education um, that 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 model does seem to be working a lot better the 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 best example of a product from that system is Billy Gilmore Billy Gilmore came through the the, the performance school model he still played for Rangers at academy level before going on to to Chelsea but he very much got his uh, his education at, at the the performance schools. The criticism of it is that you know a lot of the clubs in Scotland, while you know at one of the smaller clubs, it might actually be better to be at one of these performance schools. Some of the clubs, Celtic and Rangers, primarily might have better facilities than these performance schools. So you're taking the players away from them. But it does seem to be to be working by and large. And you you can't sign a professional contract until you're you're 17 in in the in the United Kingdom, certainly in Scotland. However, you can be paid us what's called a scholar's wage, or we would call it pro youth in, in in Scotland. And so that's very similar to if you can leave you can leave school in the UK at 16 and get an apprenticeship. So essentially, you would be get paid apprenticeship wages to play for a an academy team. So that's kind of the 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 short brief on how it works here. Yeah, and to be clear, the, it's the MLS academy players who who uh, aren't the 16 year olds aren't paid in the MLS academy. Uh, so it's a slight difference there, as there are differences in regions. Graham, did you say 10 years ago they restructured the academy system there? Yeah, roughly. There was a uh, uh, Mark Vota came in, who was a Dutchman with uh, a lot of. Dutch ideas, which was no bad thing and completely restructured things, yes. So do you think in our lifetime we'll see a half-decent Scottish national team on that basis? Ten years oh, already? Ryan, I knew that was coming. I just <laughs> knew it was coming. Look, Billy Gilmore dominated Wembley, so we've got 11 more of those coming in the next few years. So think about that. Uh, yeah, I'll think about that. And in the meantime, Graham, I think it's it's a little um, similar to what the Germans did as well. With their, they restructured and, and rebooted, if you will, uh, at the early part of this millennium. In Euro 2000, they finished bottom of their group. Euro 2004, they didn't get out of the group stage. So they put together what they called a 10-year plan. And if you recall, 10 years later in 2014, they did win the World Cup. Um, they, they took decisive steps and a 10-year plan is the exact quote from the DFB. They basically completely overhauled youth soccer. And kind of what you're saying, they, they more closely aligned the clubs with the DFB, the German FA. Um, and one of the key things they did was they created academies across the top two divisions. And I believe they made it mandatory for the top two divisions to have academy systems where they weren't necessarily. And they very much, like you were saying with the Scottish system, Graham, um, they made it full time and they, they, they weaved it in with their studies. So they, the, the, the kids in the academy were in the same place at the whole time with their studies and with, with their soccer as well. So, yeah, the, the, the clubs where they might have had more control of the grassroots like the Scottish clubs did as well, the DFB kind of took a greater interest and a greater hold. They also focused more on, on training coaches and, as well. And I think at one stage in the mid-2000s, they had something like 20 times more coaches qualified with UEFA B licenses than in the UK. So they, they took it very seriously, essentially, uh, academy systems, as do many other places. Uh, one other thing I'll touch on is what they actually do at training that that question of whether it's a harry potter school and they're taught how to do throw-ins by a, a talking hat i've not seen harry <laughs> potter i don't know how this works i, I apologize but um, 
it's it's essentially uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. Tim, it's certainly what I've seen from MLS. It's uh, academies have their own separate training from first teams when when the academy is part of a a, a first team soccer team. Uh, it'll be separate from the first team, separate from the reserve. So like at Manchester City, for example, one side of the the training complex, which is opposite the stadium, is for like reserves. There's another section for the academy, and the first team is sort of over the other side of the bridge, if you will. And it's that's a very sort of sacred thing for the players to cross over when they're invited to yeah. train with Pep and the first team and it's something they talk about when 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 they're allowed to do so uh, but within MLS uh, certainly from my experience with Charlotte FC they train five times a week it's usually six till eight p.m uh, and they'll play uh, games either home away on the weekend and the drills and what they actually do it's pretty much set up exactly like senior training. They'll do, uh, you know, warm-up drills. They'll do the same kind of drills you'd see um, in in professional training, and they they do as uh, mini games and and exercises at the end of the training session. Very much treated exactly the same, and intentionally so, so that there's a transition and a harmony moving into that senior setup when they get to do so. And I've actually seen several senior players training with the uh, with the under seventeen academy at Charlotte FC as well. So it shows that the, the level of um, physicality and the level of competence which they're training the old Mourinho trick yeah exactly (laughs) so exactly so and uh, also a question of where they compete Uh, and certainly with MLS uh, the the current competition is MLS next where they compete against top academies and against other MLS teams they have friendlies when there are not MLS competitions happening and the big one which didn't happen last year due to COVID is the Generation Adidas Cup which they have over here uh, in North America it's an under 17 contest where uh, MLS teams uh, uh, play against South American teams and European teams I believe the Seattle Sounders are the current champions that from having won it two years ago um joe is there anything else you wanted to add at this point i just wanted to toss in ryan you're talking about the training being very similar the practices being very similar to the first team and i totally agree with you on that the one thing i'll add though is at younger age levels and and this is this is below u17 like even younger kids than that uh, they'll usually play games with fewer players on the field, and they'll mm-hmm. sometimes play smaller-sided games to get players more touches. I mean, think about if you're playing 11v11 as a 12-year-old, and that, that does happen in places, but if you're playing that as a 12-year-old, you're not getting very many touches, and, and you're really not improving a whole lot technically. There's going to be so much space. A lot of the kids are going to be smaller, and so there's not as much benefit to playing those full-sided games. So you'll see a lot of smaller-sided games. You'll see 7v7, 8v8, 9v9, at some of these youth levels to improve players' individual abilities to see space, to deal with pressure because there's smaller areas, you're going to be under pressure more often and you're going to get more touches. So that's that's maybe the one deviation from how a, a professional first-team training would go. But, but now, in 2021, as we're recording this episode, maybe you're listening to it in the future, dear listener. But, I mean, now clubs all over the world are trying to make their academy setups more and more professional and have them mirror the first-team environment as much as mm-hmm. possible. So, yeah, that's really the one change that I've noticed uh, from observing youth teams train and, and different things like that. The, yeah, and the, keep, keep me uh, keep me honest, Joe. Do, is it 13 years old when they go to the full-size picture? Because I know they use smaller goals in a smaller field before 13, I believe. I believe so, but it also yeah. completely depends on where you are in, in, in the world, right? In the United mm-hmm. States, it has one regulation in, in different areas, depending on the federation and their philosophy and, and scientific findings almost. You'll see different uh, ages progressing at different levels. Yeah, and what, one of the one of the big focuses, and in, in certainly in Scotland, and actually I believe it's similar in England as well, because a lot of the, what we are doing in Scotland is kind of just copying what what England did a few years ago when they had a similar reboot, is not putting as much pressure on on young players to win. 
Um, it's more about the, you know, as Joe was mentioning there, getting them on the ball as much as possible, focusing less on the on the physical side of things is kind of what the route that we're going down. And that even extends up to, I would say, even as far as under 21 level, where a few years ago, it was all about winning matches and getting to tournaments. And obviously those are good things, but it's it's not really seen as the, the, the ultimate aim now to win matches. It's more about developing these players and preparing them for the professional game. And that just means focusing on their technical attributes more than the physical ones. Yeah, that's a really good point to make. And that's something that's certainly emphasized in the academy experience that I've seen. It's not about the winning. It's about the, the, the learning and the journey, Graham. The learning and the journey. And one thing we also touched on earlier uh, when we talked about Minnesota is that... Uh, it is the it's very important for many clubs to have an academy and academy systems are very important to many leagues worldwide but not all clubs have them and outside of the top two divisions of Germany not all clubs are impugned to have them either and one club which doesn't have one uh, quite prominently is Brentford who are going to be playing in the Premier League um, this this coming season it's 2017 when they uh, when they decided to cut out their, their, their reserve side completely sorry their academy side completely uh, and focus on having a reserve side playing against top opposition in friendlies instead they decided that at a cost around of around two million a year that it was too much of a risk that their academy um you know was was playing from a financial perspective because when you're looking at london there are 20 or so teams there dozens of teams on the doorstep in london in brentford so the risk of are we going to produce enough players to make that operating cost of around two million a year worth it wasn't worth it for brentford and what they do, gents, is rely on ASC Wimbledon, who tend to have a lot of Brentford players come through and young players loaned to them by Brentford. So there are different ways of doing things worldwide. Uh, Joe, anything more to add? I think, we, I think we've just about covered Eric's question here. How do you feel about it? I think we were a little short on Harry Potter references and comparisons, but beyond You're that, right. uh, I hope Eric is satisfied. I can't believe you've never seen Harry Potter, Ryan. Why would I want to see a film about a wizard who rides well, I mean, a broom and <laughs> i i haven't watched it either this week <laughs> uh joe you're you're our resident film buff have you seen harry potter oh ryan you know the answer the answer is no i haven't <laughs> eric we failed you i'm so sorry i'm so sorry eric well, Eric, we may have failed you on Harry Potter references, but I hope we have uh, satiated your question about academies, why we have them, what they do, what purpose they serve. Uh, thank you very much, Joe Lowry, for your help on this Soccer 101 episode. You got it, Ryan. Graham Ruthven, thank you very much for your time, sir. Always a pleasure. And listener, we'll catch you next time. Thank you very much. 